It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. On today's show, we will continue our discussions, part two of how divided this country is between a political party that has some interest in governing and a criminal organization that enjoys masquerading as a political party and how our media is simply unequipped to deal with this fact as it, as it seeks to inform the American public. We will continue this theme by talking about the latest news of the week, including the Democratic Convention. But first... We will start by talking about what probably should normally have been basically the news story of the century, but which in fact is, I think, not even really a news story. And that is, of course, that the Republican-led Senate panel has detailed ties between the 2016 Trump campaign and Russia. Yes, normally this would be pretty big news. Let let me just, again, this is coming from a Republican-led Senate investigatory panel. So when the the Republicans in the Senate are leading this, you know that there is more whitewash and there is more cover-up than there is actual elucidation. But I thought that the Times article had this pithy description of what the report has shown. It provides, provided a bipartisan Senate imprimatur for an extraordinary set of facts. The Russian government disrupted an American election to help Mr. Trump become president. Russian intelligence services viewed members of the Trump campaign as easily manipulated, and some of Mr. Trump's advisors were eager for the help from an American adversary. Kind of sums up, a degree of incompetence that is simply mind-boggling, if not absolutely unprecedented in this country, and a degree of treason or wannabe treason that one can only hope is basically unprecedented in this country. And yet, maybe because Donald Trump has been confessing to all this pretty much out loud for almost four years, it, it, it lands with the dud. It's it's it just yes, we've we know that. There's nothing new here. The president of the United States and his and his cronies are incompetence and wannabe traitors. So what's new? Again, reminder, this is coming from a Republican led Senate panel. You know, I, I think it's interesting. I think about major news that's really non-news. I compare that to what I think is the other major news that's been non-news of the last couple of weeks, and that is the the selection of Kamala Harris as Joe Biden's vice presidential running mate. The, the first black woman, the first uh, person of Indian descent, South Asian descent, Asian descent on 
an American presidential ticket? This should have been remarkable news, but it's not. I think that's a testament to where the Democratic Party is and has gone. So making tremendous strides in race and sex relations is the Democratic version of non-news. Selling your country out through incompetence or criminal wannabe to steal an election, reaching out to a hostile foreign power, that's Republican non-news. And yes, that is our choice for just over two months from now. So seeing more about our choice, I think our choice, again, could not have been made clearer than to look at a few of the moments or hours of programming for the Democratic Convention or unconvention, as it may be. The theme, of course, of the Democratic Convention, in case you've missed this, is unity. Something to a large extent I have been I have been worried about and arguing against since I started this podcast. It was inevitable that the Democrats would call for unity because that's the way it always goes. That is the contrast between our two political parties in this country. You know, you could be forgiven for being confused if you just turned on this convention for a few minutes and thinking it was the Republican convention because of the number of Republican speakers that are featured prominently at the Democratic convention. Not so much Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but John Kasich. Sure, he gets he gets a, a, a frontline primetime spot. A, a, a reminder, both sides, people who want to talk about both sides, looking at all these what passes for mainstream Republicans, and that's scary enough right now, given what these people actually have stood for in their political careers. Given them stand up and support Joe Biden gives you an idea that there's really not just two sides here. There may not even be two sides at all. Just coming out today, it's reported 70 Republican national security officials have just publicly together endorsed Joe Biden for president, finding that Donald Trump is a security threat to the United States of America. Again, there's no news here. And didn't we go through this, by the way, like three and a half years ago where they did the same thing, probably the same people four years ago? It's at, at this point, we're talking about both sides. I've said this a lot on this show. People say to me, you know, you're on the other side. John Kasich, Meg Whitman, Christy Todd Whitman, and all the others, they are not on my side. What they represent right now is to the extent that we do have two sides, it's everybody against the absolute lunatics. It's the borderline sane or only criminally insane against the absolute off-the-wall, over-the-top nuts. In other words, Trump. Democrats make it clear in their convention they continue basically to the move to the center, at least when it comes to reaching out to the GOP. Whereas the GOP continues to know that its bread is buttered by moving to the extreme. And that's the interesting story here. Those who want to take hope from the fact that there are Republicans coming out and supporting Democrats. Basically, the Republicans who are coming out and supporting Democrats are Republicans who are not running for anything. Basically, they are ex-Republicans. 
at least when it comes to elective office. Although maybe Kasich still has some hope that he's going to be president someday. Because the Republican Party itself, those who are in power, those who have the actual capacity to change this country and rein Trump in, they are part of the nuts brigade. They have made it clear that they are so afraid of their fucking moron voters that they will continue to toe the lunatic line. That's why the Republicans were able to speak, either Colin Powell's at the Democratic Convention and support Joe Biden, are only the Republicans who figure that they will never have to answer to Republican voters again. And this is the real fear in this country. Everybody knows that they created this army of fucking morons and now they are running the asylum. This move to the center, this call for unity. On the one hand, this is something to be to be really emboldened by and, and feel good about. Because the Democrats are talking about unity and moving, coming together, whereas their platform does remain the most progressive democratic platform we have probably ever seen in this country. Certainly we have seen in recent memory. Just re- remarkable. And I, and I do think that that's a testament, not that the Democrats are, are extremists, but how, as I've been arguing for four years, reality has a well-known liberal bias, thanks to Stephen Colbert, that ultimately Democrats get proven right that most of the country is moving against racism. Martin Luther King joining Stephen Colbert was also right. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Well, we as a country tend to embrace more progressive policies, even though we don't know it and we don't want to admit it. But when the Democrats talk about reaching out to Republicans and working with Republicans, this is a serious problem if they believe any of this shit. And you know what? Even if they don't believe any of this shit, it's a serious problem because the fact that they're saying it over and over at their convention means they're going to have to act it out. They're going to have to do it if and when they take power again. So they will be hamstrung by their own words. But this has been the Democratic Party's lot for my lifetime. The Republicans get elected and go extreme and divide and attack and take this country back decades. And then the Democrats come in and seek to work with Republicans. Only at some point to learn that the Republicans will not work with them and we get a a, a denuded Democratic administration, a powerless Democratic administration that doesn't get done what needs to get done, which it could only do by flipping its middle fingers at the Republican Party and saying, we've been elected to govern. We are going to govern without your getting in our way. Are they going to get rid of the filibuster if they keep talking about unity? It's going to be harder. There's, as was reported, one line in Casey's speech, I think is important to remember as we move forward. His pitch to Republicans and independents who, as he says, might fear Joe may turn sharp left and leave them behind. He says, no dice. Well, for many of us, we believe that the best way to save this country, the best way, the, the only way this country can be governed and move forward is to make that turn to the left. 
But anyway, as we watch these Republicans speak at the Democratic Convention, can we at least please try to remember that these people really aren't on our side, air quotes, here? There are other examples from the week about why unity is just not good enough as a Democratic platform. And I want to talk briefly about the Ninth Circuit panel that invalidated California's ban on high-capacity magazines. High-capacity gun magazines, which do not allow you to hunt, do not let you defend yourself, but let you commit mass slaughter in a very short period of time. Well, as I've talked about recently in other decisions, this monumental decision invalidating California's efforts to make its citizens safer and cut down on mass shooting deaths. Was invalid. This was, it was invalidated by two judges of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, two who were chosen to be on the three-judge panel. An opinion written by a judge named Kenneth Lee, who was most egregiously a Trump appointee, and the most egregious part, a replacement for a liberal icon. On the Ninth Circuit, Stephen Reinhardt, a longtime liberal icon on the Ninth Circuit, absolutely adding insult to injury. He was joined in his opinion, overturning California's law. Over oh, so much for so much for judicial uh, humility and and not judicial overreach. Uh, but he was joined in this decision by a George W. Bush appointee, Judge Consuelo Callahan. That's why they're stealing our courts, so that we cannot govern ourselves, we cannot protect ourselves, and, and government doesn't work in America. And you're not going to defeat this by asking for unity with the Republican Party. If Joe Biden and Kamala Harris get elected president and vice president, respectively, they are going to have to do something about the Republican theft of our courts. Our courts will stop their agenda in its tracks, even where the Republicans in Congress are unable to do that. More on the divide between sanity and lunacy in this country with respect to Trump's war on the planet this week. Um, the Trump administration formally weakened a major climate change regulation last week effectively freeing oil and gas companies from the need to detect and repair methane leaks. <laughs> Leaking methane from oil and gas, well, this, in case you know, is a potent greenhouse gas for, you know, those of us who have a brain and believe in science and think that climate change is real and a threat to the planet and all that other stuff. Anyway, new research shows that far more of the potent greenhouse gas is seeping into the atmosphere than was previously known. Nevertheless, Trump doesn't Trump administration doesn't care about it and isn't going to regulate it. Or as the head of the EPA, Andrew Wheeler says, there's no leaks, no leaks at all. I don't know what you're looking at. I don't know what you see in front of you. Who are you going to believe me or your own eyes? Yes, they just lie their way through it. And the head of the EPA just said that there were no emissions leaks at a time when science was showing us that they are, in fact, much worse than we ever thought. And again, when we talk about the divide between the parties, let me just point out here that the left doesn't just make up facts. You might disagree with some of what we believe, 
but we understand what a fact is and we don't lie about it. Also, as part of Trump's destroying the environment agenda, I'm sure you've heard he finalized his plan to open up parts of the Arctic National Wildlife Reserve. The Arctic National Wildlife Reserve that was to be kept pristine because of its ecological importance through a, a deal that we made with oil companies to give them other parts of the north slope of Alaska that they wanted, they agreed to leave Anwar alone. Once they got what they wanted in the first place, then they decided that agreement didn't count anymore. Again, this is the way Republicans and businesses seem to feel about agreements, in case you haven't noticed that. So they're finalizing plan to open up parts of this crucial ecological area. Again, essentially game over for the planet, in addition to game over for polar bears and all the other animals that are basically going to be destroyed. But basically game over for the planet if they actually do decide to go get this oil. But of course, we are told that this will create jobs. Ah, uh, yes, that's what we're always told. Anytime someone wants to engage in planetary destruction or destroy many of our citizens, that's always the good time. Oh, we're going to create jobs. We're going to create jobs. Gosh, if we, if we, close, if we close the crematoriums, all these, all these people burning human bodies are going to be put out of work. What a shame. If we, if we stop capital punishment, if we stop executing innocent people, where will executioners go get their jobs? This, yeah, this is where we see this. So this is going to create jobs. Presumably they're talking about planet grave diggers, people who can be digging the grave that the planet's going to need to be buried in if they open up Anwar and if they continue to search for oil and gas. But let me just propose, is that because it's never about jobs, let me just propose this. If this is really about jobs, how about if you're going to open up oil, uh, oil wells in Anwar, all of the proceeds need to go to the workers. The workers get all of it. Now let's see how quickly the oil companies want to go open up in Anwar. This, of course, is just about, like everything else in the Trump administration, everything else in business, and everything else from the Republican Party for my lifetime, it is simply about the destruction of others by the rich. It is simply about how the wealthy in this country think, and in fact, they think it because it's true, that they get to have everything they want and further enrich themselves by basically destroying the lives of everyone and everything around them. Speaking of eviscerating everything and everyone around you, Trump is still busy eviscerating the post office. You know, you might disagree with Democrats on a lot of things, but Democrats don't try to steal elections. Democrats don't engage in voter fraud. They don't engage in voter suppression. They don't engage in trying to get people to vote who aren't eligible to vote. It's not a thing. It's not to say it's never happened. It's almost never happened. But it's not a thing, whereas it is a thing for the Republican Party. So Trump continues to try to eviscerate the post office Thankfully, Democrats in Congress have put enough pressure on his tool, the Postmaster General, that he's maybe backing off somewhat, at least on future destruction, though past destruction apparently seems to still be going. But Trump is eviscerating the post office, in case you've missed this, while at the very same time he is requesting his own mail-in ballot to vote in Florida, where he's moved to avoid taxes. Uh this is akin to Casablanca, to Inspector Renault 
going, who frequents the gambling establishment all the time, saying, I have to close this place because I am shocked, shocked to discover there's gambling going on here. At the same time, someone walks up to him and says, oh, here are your gambling winnings. And he says, oh, thank you very much. And takes the gambling winnings. This is Trump denigrating the whole possibility of mail-in voting while he's mail-in voting and telling everyone that he knows that they should go ahead and just keep doing that. The Postal Service, as you know from this week, sent a letter to all 50 states and the District of Columbia, Columbia cautioning them that they may not be able to meet their deadline for delivering last-minute mail-in ballots and warning almost all 50 states, 46 states, that they're basically not going to be able to get this done. Well, let's see what kind of pressure is put on where they're going to have to at least look for other avenues to steal the vote or minimize this one just a little bit, be more subtle about how they're doing this one. And lastly, as far as the distinction between the two parties, again, going back to the vice presidential nomination of Kamala Harris, who early reports, by the way, look are making it look like this was a more, a more brilliant move by Biden than we even thought at first. Roundly accepted by the public. She's getting rave reviews already. I certainly have gotten more on board, although, as I had indicated last week, he could have named, he could have named a cadaver to be his vice president. It wouldn't have affected my vote at all. But, of course, Kamala Harris being on the ticket gives Donald Trump and his ilk a chance to once again put away the dog whistles and go flat-out racist, sexist, misogynist against Kamala Harris. And this past week has been disgusting. Making fun of her name, okay, that's, that's the other. The Republican congressman, I think it was, who referred to her as Aunt Jemima? That's, this is like, you, you can't make this stuff up. Trump pushing the Bertha thing again? She's not eligible? To be vice president, the son of the president of the United States, Eric Trump, calling her horrendous in a tweet. This is sick. Donald Trump using his typical, in this case, he's going back to the dog whistles, nasty and angry to describe her. The same words he uses to describe all women he might be running against, but to me, almost the best one here. Is there going back to, to Pizzagate? You, you can't even make up anything new. They're going back that she's part of Pizzagate running a child sex ring through the basement of a Washington, D.C. pizza restaurant that doesn't have a basement. And here I got a little emboldened to some extent. The New York Times article on this was as outspoken and blatant in calling this what it is as I have seen. And frankly, it is a roadmap to how the media is going to need to treat Trump and the Republicans for the next two months as far as basically forever until this party dramatically changes. It called it racist, called it sexist, called it disgraceful. The Times and others have been reporting about Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Republican from Georgia, Who's, who won her primary and is likely to be a congressperson very soon, and is vocal in her support of QAnon. Trump, of course, refuses to say whether he supports QAnon, which started this whole Pizzagate bullshit. Just making shit up about how... I mean, he talks about Satan worshippers, for, for Christ's sake. 
this is the Republican Party at this point. And it is a reminder, as a couple articles in the Times showed, QAnon is out of its freaking mind. They're insane. They're lunatic. And you know who they are reminiscent of? The Tea Party, which just a few years ago was the same thing in the Republican Party. Too lunatic for anyone with any decency or any brains in the Republican Party. But which now has become mainstream in the Republican Party. And this criminal organization continues to just move more and more extreme and continue to demonstrate that as they do so, they just move the, the, the Overton window, the bar of what is acceptable, a range of what is acceptable in this country. They move it further and further and further to absolute nuts territory. Those who are calling this out for what it is, who are calling insane insane, are providing a blueprint for how the media is going to have to cover Donald Trump and the Republican Party. I left off last time talking about how the difference between the parties and the people who support these two parties sort of puts the lie to the idea that the Democrats have the upper hand in negotiations on economic relief package to help us through the COVID crisis, or for that matter, on any political issue. Talked about the fact that when one political party is hamstrung by wanting to govern and wanting to a good outcome for people, it makes it really difficult to compete with a political party that cares about nothing but itself. And how that's a big problem here for the Democrats, as much as we look and say they should be able to prevail in these negotiations because Donald Trump and the Republicans need a deal. The fact is they don't so much because the Republicans don't care that much what happens to people. And they've got the media outlets that propagandize so much that will lie on their behalf. The Fox News is the One America News is social media, Russia, for that matter, that they could create this fake reality and just lie about everything they've been doing, which really changes the political balance of power in favor of those who really don't want to help anybody. And that's a big problem. I want to focus more today on the media's role in this. Fox News and One American News, I've talked about them a lot. I've talked about the media overall a lot over the years that I've been doing this show. Look, they are what they are. If, if Americans want to turn to that shit and Fox News' popularity apparently is just going through the roof, we are in a lot of trouble if people choose to be lied to, if people choose to be this stupid. You have to hope that there's enough honest media out there, enough honest news, and enough people looking to get that news that we could actually occasionally achieve the right outcome and move this country in the right direction. Well, that brings us to our so-called mainstream media. That brings us to even people who are generally, I, by me anyway, respected among our journalists and people who maybe are trying to inform people rather than to misinform people. And as I've done in the past, I want to talk about how the media, even that media, is simply not situated to deal with a political party that is this unbelievably corrupt and that has a propaganda machine behind it to back up its lies. That brings us to our so-called center or even center-left media. 
the people we're supposed to be listening to to actually get informed. And here I'm going to talk about a journalist I generally respect. I've talked about him before, Thomas Friedman, the New York Times. Someone who embodies both sidesism from people who really should know better. Friedman being one of our foremost practitioners of both sidesism. And he had two columns in the last week or so that I want to talk about now in the context of the way the media just can't accurately portray what is happening in this country. He starts off his, his article, the United States is becoming... Like Middle Eastern countries in two respects. First, our political differences are becoming so deep that our two parties now resemble religious sects in a zero-sum contest for power. With all due respect to Mr. Friedman, give me a break. First of all, the fact that you even use the term that our parties are resembling religious sects. Have you noticed that that is actually a perfect description of one of our political parties, not the other one. It's an interesting term there because of how much it describes the Republican criminal organization. It is, in fact, a religious sect. There's a really eye-opening passage where he writes, Yup, it turns out there is now Republican energy, oil, gas, and coal, and Democratic energy, wind, solar, and hydro. And if you believe in oil, gas, and coal, you are also supposed to op oppose abortion and face mask. And let's add climate change to that list. How are you equating these things? On the one side, you have to, the parties are so extreme. They're so divided. On one side, you have to believe in the destruction of the planet and ignore science. And the other side, you need to be concerned about preserving the planet, investing in technologies of the future that will save lives and save the planet, be concerned about climate change, and wear a fucking mask during a pandemic? Those two things are equated? This is why Democrats don't really stand a chance normally. This is why reality doesn't normally stand a chance. Because even our respected news people can't tell the difference between bullshit and something that makes sense, even when they damn well know better. But I also want to point out that it is not two political parties with their political differences. He talks about everything is now politics. It's all about politics. It's all about winning. The problem is he refutes his own basic premise in his own article. Every example he gives us for how everything is about politics is the Republican Party. It's not the Democratic Party. Every example he gives for how divided we are, how extreme we are, is the Republican Party. It's not the Democratic Party. He bends over backwards to try to be fair to Republicans, even including, I go listen to the show last week about the Supreme Court and Chief Justice John Roberts. He lauds John Roberts, people like Thomas Friedman, really respect the fact that he seems to be acting on behalf of the common good, not his political tribe. Well, listen to my show last week, Mr. Friedman. He only seems to be acting on behalf of the common good for, for dupes and rubes like yourself. He's not actually acting on behalf of the common good. And we kind of need people who can recognize the difference. Not acting on behalf of the... We're already seeing what I spoke about last week. Roberts decision his unpolitical is a political decision siding with the with the sane justices in the abortion case 
It's already leading to cutbacks in abortion across America. Courts, the Eighth Circuit has already cited his concurring opinion to justify reducing abortion rights in America. But no, no, no. He is what stands for reaching out to the other side, for people who are desperate to always be seen as eminently reasonable men, to look like they are fair and balanced. Oh, maybe that's the wrong term. Well, Fox News, I think, isn't using it anymore, Thomas, so you could have it now. It seems fitting that you get the moniker fair and balanced. Certainly they and the rest of conservative media isn't worried about sounding like eminently reasonable people. So you got that one for yourself, too. Is there a liberal alternative to Fox News in One America? There is not. There is no propaganda on the outlet on the, on the left that tells lies. There are voices on the left. They deal in facts. I have discussed this ad nauseum on this show over the years. Well, as if that wasn't enough, Friedman followed up on that op-ed in another op-ed yesterday, which was generally a good op-ed. An op-ed, just to give you an idea, the title of which was, Will 2020's Election Be the End of Our Democracy? The op-ed was all about how Donald Trump is going to try to steal the election, do everything he can to steal the election. And if he can't steal the election, he may not leave anyway. Now, Okay, you could say to yourself, well, where have you been for the last four years when everybody else, including yours truly, has been making the same argument about Trump? But, okay, it's an argument that needs to be made. It's an important argument. And he spends the whole column talking about how Donald Trump basically should be, he doesn't say this, my words, should be put in irons and chained in a dungeon somewhere for the rest of his existence because of the extent to which he is a threat to the very being of the United States of America. He talks about how this country may not survive Donald Trump, as I've been talking about on this show. But then, in his ultimate paragraph, he he says, so I don't care who you vote for. But blah, 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 blah. Then he goes on from there to tell you to make sure that your vote gets counted. You can't spend a whole article talking about how this man is a threat to this country's very being, let alone its values, its pseudo-democratic nature, and all this other shit. You can't spend the whole fucking article talking about that and then say, so I don't care who you vote for. No, that's not appropriate. You have to just say that this is almost factual, not opinion anymore. Don't vote for this fucking asshole. But we just can't do that on the so-called left. To give you an idea how it's strictly about winning only for one side, let's talk about our response to the COVID pandemic and the, and the economy. Democrats have tried desperately to to hand Trump a win on the economy right before an election. 
Let's be clear on what's happening here. By trying to help Americans, they are making the wrong political calculation. They're going against what the Republicans did for eight years under Obama, where they were perfectly happy to let Americans die so that they could get back to political power. The Democrats are doing the opposite. They are desperate to give Donald Trump a political victory, economic good news. That is not what, what Friedman is arguing. It is the opposite of that. Even liberal Democrats have already begun their calls for bipartisanship in the event that Democrats take power. Michelle Goldberg, in her op-ed today in the Times, talks about how Democrats should investigate Trump for his crimes and not let him get away with it, because that's what Democrats always do. But even that is too much. And Michelle Goldberg is one of the liberal Democrats. Even she talks about how all the Democrats are arguing, we need a non-democratic attorney general. You want to contrast that to Jeff Sessions and William Barr? The Democrats should reach out as they always do and probably come up with an attorney general who's a Republican. But that's both sides-ism for you. In his article, Friedman asks about the lack of American leaders we can respect even where we disagree with them. How do you ask that fucking question? How about Barack Obama, Mr. Freeman? How about the last Democratic president? With all due respect, how about even the guy who's up now? Say what you want about Joe Biden. Most people generally have respected him, or at least they have respected him until the Republicans get through with the hatchet job they're going to do against him. How about Hillary Clinton? Sounds incredibly a provocative thing to say right now until one realizes that Hillary Clinton had bipartisan approval until the Republicans engaged in a lying propaganda campaign to destroy her. You know who doesn't do that? The other political party doesn't do that. Friedman even writes, think of the dignity of Al Gore gracefully submitting to a highly politicized Supreme Court decision giving the 2000 election to George W. Bush. Gore put the common good first. He took a bullet for America. Well... Barack Obama didn't publicize the Russia interference in election either, did he? Nor did Mr. Obama ask to see Donald Trump's birth certificate. Nor, for that matter, did Hillary Clinton chant that we should be locking Donald Trump up, even though we should have been locking Donald Trump up, and still should be. And by the way, with Al Gore, you don't have to go back very far to find a Democratic politician that you were saying, where are these politicians? Friedman continues, Trump would have torn America apart over that. And trust me, if he loses in November, there is no way he will put the common good ahead of his own. And that is one area, Mr. Friedman, where I agree with you in this current article. There is no way he will put the common good ahead of his own if he loses in November, just like there is no way he is putting the common good ahead of his own as he leads up to the November election and his efforts to steal it. I would like to close today's show by talking about our political divide as represented by our tech lords appearances before Congress recently. By tech lords, of course, I am referring to the new masters of the universe joining our financial wizards for their, for their greed and excess, appearing virtually in front of Congress, appearing reprehensible, smug, entitled and basically like the lying shit that's undoubtedly helped them get to where they are right now in life. A reminder 
of who's represented by our political parties. It's also a reminder, as they spoke generally condescendingly to Congress and to the rest of us, a reminder about how monopolies and monopolists are becoming the norm or have become the norm in the United States. This is a discussion for another show, one that I've had before and will have again, about how the current economic system in America basically relies on monopolies, which should not be in existence, and how that leads to the tremendously wealthy masters of the universe, rich capitalists that we now have running this country, and running this country often through the Republican Party, which they have completely co-opted. They were a reminder, as they testified, of the disconnect between wealth and worthiness. I have I confront every semester at some point in one of my classes the idea that we seem to be brought up in this country with the concept that if you have a lot of money, you've done something to deserve it. You are somehow better than the rest of us. You are more worthy. You deserve your status as master of the universe. And I try to disabuse students of that ridiculous notion. And as you watch these people mistestify, basically, in front of Congress, one of the things that should be going through your mind is, why them? They just don't seem that special, do they? Which is something that might want to inform some of our policies, such as tax and regulatory policies. But again, that's a further discussion for a different show. Today, I want to talk specifically about the way it was seen and what it kind of represented and what the two parties represented in their questioning of these tech giants. The New York Times was, was happy to point out that this was one of those rare occasions that seemed to have brought the Democratic Party and the Republican Party together. That, in fact, Democratic and Republican lawmakers who were questioning these titans of, of the universe, titans of industry, were, in fact, not real happy with them. I found a passage in the New York Times article on this particularly noteworthy, particularly relevant, because it is so, I think, particularly accurate, maybe more so than was intended by the author. Democratic lawmakers criticized the tech companies for buying startups to stifle them and un for unfairly using their data hordes to clone and kill off competitors. Sounds kind of like governance. Sounds like what a regulatory state is supposed to be about. Sounds like regulated what regulated capitalism is supposed to about, be about. Not allowing the stifling of competition, which is necessary for the free market. And not allowing them to clone and kill off competitors. See what I just said regarding competition in the free market. Here's how the article described the motivation of Republican questioners. And I quote again, Republicans questioned whether the platforms had muzzled conservative viewpoints and were unpatriotic. Close quote. That pretty much sums it up. The Democrats were looking for a capitalist system that works and works fairly. Republicans were worried about propaganda and stealing electoral success and worried about their own political success. 
The idea that the platforms are muzzling conservative viewpoints, of course, is fucking propaganda from the Republican side. It's a fucking joke, given how much Facebook, among others with the four, was responsible for and is still disseminating Russian propaganda that got Donald Trump elected and may yet get him reelected. And were unpatriotic? Oh, give me a fucking break. Speak adult language when you are in Congress, will you please? Accusing them of being unpatriotic is simply writing your own TV ads, writing your own political advertisements. It has nothing to do with responsible governance. And that just sums up the two parties, one of which, at least occasionally, wants to actually govern for the good of this country, and one of which just keeps making it clear over and over and over again, only worries about its own success. I'm going to leave with John Lewis. It seems fitting. John Lewis had an essay in the Times, at this point it's probably a couple of weeks back, that was published posthumously. He wrote it right before he passed away, which really says something about John Lewis. Let's talk about John Lewis and what and what I'm about to read and compare him, of course, to the GOP racists, which is what's making up the other side right now. Here's the words of John Lewis. Like so many young people today, I was searching for a way out or some might say a way in. And then I heard the voice of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on an old radio. He was talking about the philosophy and discipline of nonviolence. He said we are all complicit when we tolerate injustice. He said it is not enough to say it will get better by and by. He said each of us has a moral obligation to stand up, speak up, and speak out. When you see something that is not right, you must say something. You must do something. Democracy is not a state. It is an act. And each generation must do its part to help build what we called the beloved community, a nation and world society at peace with itself. Still quoting, but skipping ahead a little bit now. Though I may not be here with you, I urge you to answer the highest calling of your heart and stand up for what you truly believe. In my life, I have done all I can to demonstrate that the way of peace, the way of love and nonviolence is the more excellent way. Now, it is your turn to let freedom ring. When historians pick up their pens to write the story of the 21st century, let them say it was your generation who laid down the heavy burden of hate at last, and that peace finally triumphed over violence, aggression, and war. So I say to you, walk with the wind, brothers and sisters, and let the spirit of peace And the power of everlasting love be your guide. And then we get to contrast that with Donald Trump supporters whose idea of liberty is that they shouldn't have to wear their masks in public. And whose idea of patriotism is they owe nothing to anybody. The choice cannot be more stark. The moment could not be more critical. Let's remember that this country is done, done, done. 
if Donald Trump and the GOP wins two or three months from now. This would be a pretty good time to heed John Lewis's call to action, since it could be the last opportunity for a very long time. Well, that's it for today's show. We hope to see you soon. Till then, stay well, stay safe. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 